Hello, and welcome to our podcast called the Virtual CISO Chronicles. In this podcast, I will interview a virtual CISO to talk about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a software platform exclusively for virtual CISOs. Virtual CISOs are cybersecurity professionals, professionals who consult with companies to build cybersecurity programs. To tell you a little bit more about myself, I have over 22 years of experience as a startup lawyer, and I like to think of myself as an advocate, especially in the fields of data privacy and cybersecurity. But I grew up in an entrepreneurial home, and I absolutely love listening to people's stories. So I started this podcast to feature people who are working hard in cybersecurity to make the world a better place. Our guest today is Kathy Myron. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Caroline. First question. So please tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and if you can find something that's non-security related, include that as well. Oh, there's plenty. (laughs) (laughs) So I am the CEO of eSilo. We're a data backup and cybersecurity company, and we help small to mid-sized organizations and municipalities prevent and recover from cyber attacks and, and other IT disasters. I got into this field uh, at the very beginning of my career. I actually started at a Fortune 10 company. Um, I joined their IT audit organization and I spent five years in various different business units, different industries, different countries and locations around the world, um, assessing IT systems, cybersecurity, um, business resiliency practices, Uh, against a myriad of different regulations. And what was really nice about that experience was it was very, it was audit, but it was also very consultative, consulting oriented. So we would identify gaps and areas where the business process or the systems weren't meeting regulatory expectations. And then we were advising the business leaders or the system owners on these are the three or four things that you need to do in order to close those gaps. And that was incredibly rewarding. And I was very fortunate to have that experience in my 20s. So fast forward a couple of years later, I was doing you know different projects for the organization. At one point, I was even their CTO for mobile and productivity tools. Um, but nothing really fulfilled me in the same way that that consultative audit um, piece did. So um, when I had started a family and, and had some children and my priorities shifted and we actually relocated away from, from, from the company, um, I needed to look at what I wanted to do next. And you know, you have those moments when you're sort of mid-career and you realize that your work and life schedule just don't work for you anymore. And I was feeling incredibly burnt out and I was in my mid-30s and I was in this new, you know, in Florida, um, bright, sunny, it's like, great, you want to be outside, you want to spend time with your, your, your young children. And I needed to find a way to still have my career, but have it really work for me and um, to be able to work on things that I felt were impactful and still leverage the expertise and the experience that I had built when I was, when I was at corporate. Um, so in 2018, I actually acquired eSilo from its founder. So I didn't start the company um, and uh, it was a great opportunity to kind of slide over into entrepreneurship, you know, sort of take a, a very non-traditional path um, but at the time, we were just a backup company. Um, so for you know 15 years or so, the founders had built a very stable um, offsite backup business to support professional services organizations. And while that was great, that when we started, that was way before cloud and, and kind of everything else. And so 
I come in as the new owner and, you know, making the changes and tweaks and things that, that one does. And the conversations we have with clients around the recoveries that we were doing and the reasons why they needed data recovery in the first place all stemmed back in my mind to a lack of solid controls and, and good uh, cyber hygiene is, is what I like to call it and user education. And so we built an additional arm to the practice that's now consultative in nature, and it includes the fractional CISO services, but also a lot of other you know, project-based work, um, assessment-based work to help those small businesses understand where they have gaps and to preemptively put in place the policies, procedures, and tools that make it so much less likely that they're going to be facing a data loss incident or a data breach incident. You are the first virtual CISO that I've talked to, first person in this industry that I've talked to, who ended up buying a business. And so I, I really want it for our listeners, I really want to dive into that decision making that you had. So you were at corporate and you moved to Florida and do you just, does the idea just pop in your head of, I'm going to look around and see if there's any businesses around here for sale or did, was the opportunity just sort of landed in your lap and you thought, I might be able to do this. It's a little bit of both. Um, I got the idea because, funny enough, while I was at corporate, they asked me to go through some new testing modules, you know, review some things that we were going to roll out as, as training to employees. And as I was browsing the catalog, there was this course on, um, it was modeled after a Harvard Business School course taught by two professors, and it's called How to Buy a Business. And the, the theory behind it is they're teaching MBAs instead of going out and starting something from scratch and going through all the trials and tribulations, um, go out and look for businesses that meet certain criteria. Um, and you know, some of that criteria is financial in nature, but some of it's also just um, sort of recession-proof or cycle-proof. So boring industries that are absolutely essential, but don't get a lot of attention. Um, so they used examples of like uh, musical instrument rental or porta potties or pipe fitting, you know, very yeah, boring yeah, yeah. things that, that people don't really pay attention to, but can be incredibly lucrative and have um, a lot of really positive aspects of the business, like recurring revenue and, and things like that, captive customers. So I listened to that training and I thought, this is amazing. I went out, bought the book, devoured the book because they, they do have books. So you can go look for that. Um, and that's where the seed was planted in my head. And, and what's nice about the book is that they kind of talk you through the different stages. And, and actually, one of the things they talk about is funding the search, because if you don't have a, a job, a source of income, you need to find a way to fund a search for, say, six months or 12 months um, to go through and actually do all of the due diligence and evaluate, you know, various different yeah. prospects and opportunities. And I was like, well, I don't have time for that. <laughs> so I went around and said, well, how do I shortcut this? And um, a lot of people may not know that in the way that you buy a house, there's a, a, a residential realtor for businesses. There's a, essentially a business broker or a business realtor. Um, so I went out and found a business broker and, and they don't have the best reputation. So I asked around and I really wanted to get the um, non-sleazy <laughs> business yep. broker, right? One, one that I could trust. Um, and there's a business MLS. And so, you know, you sign a couple NDAs, you go through the listings and, um, you get to go shopping. So we went around and looked at a whole bunch of different businesses. And um, to be honest, not a lot of businesses are tech businesses that are, you know, at, at the range and size of business that I was looking for in our immediate location, because that was very important to me with my young family. And we looked at a lot of different things. And I will tell you that some of those I, 
they would have been very profitable businesses, but I was a little bit worried about the stigma of, you know, going out and buying, say, a roofing business. Like my, yeah. my broker was like, oh, you should look at this. It's like, what on earth is a technology executive <laughs> going to do with a roofing business? And I had just moved to Florida. And now that I've been here for a couple of years, that was really silly because they make money hand over, you know, hand over fist because of the nature of of the environment. Um, But anyhow, that's a different story for for a different day. Um, But that's where I found East Silo. It was um, a business that that had been put up for sale and they were looking for the right strategic fit. Um, And that's kind of where we made the magic happen. That's an awesome story. So you, you, by the company, now you're the new owner. Um, how do you decide, how did you go about starting from that point? You know, I've talked to a lot of people who've started from scratch and mm-hmm. you started from a different point of the company's growth. How did you, how did it feel to come in at that stage and then figure out your strategy going forward? Yeah. It's a very broad question, but I, I think you understand what I'm trying to get at. Absolutely. And what I'll tell you is I was super gung-ho, right? Like I've got mm-hmm. this new project essentially and oh, here's all the things I'm gonna do. And you know, I'm coming in with this very corporate mindset. And my broker said like the one piece of advice I wanna give you is just listen, right? Listen for your first like 30 days, 60 days, whatever. Don't break what you just bought because it's a working business. And yes, right. you wanna make it better. And yes, you wanna, you have ideas for where you can take it. Um, but just be cautious that you don't you know, rock the boat unnecessarily, I guess. And so that was fantastic advice. And so I spent the first six months learning the ins and outs of everything that was happening. Um, and I mm. thought that was important, partly for my own personal development, you know, coming from a corporate organization, I had worked in a lot of different areas within IT and compliance and, and operations, but never had real exposure to sales and marketing, which as you know, as a business owner, that's essential. Um, mm-hmm. or had real ownership over accounting and finances. And so I spent those first six months really getting a feel for how do things work, learning the things I didn't know, um, getting help from experts where I, I thought I could, I, I could use it and then built myself a plan for here's all the kind of, you know, do a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Here's where I want to go in the next two to three years. And then we set about implementing a lot of technological changes and improvements um, behind the scenes to bring the service up to a level where I felt we could go after larger clients than we had historically and and, and win those deals. Um, Hmm. So that was probably the next 18 months or so. Um, And it's really when COVID hit is when we sat back and said, what else can and should we be doing for our clients? And you saw this massive surge of ransomware and just scammers and spammers and all kinds of of these um, tactics. And so that's where we started doing more training. And first we did it for free. We would just give it away or you know do sessions with, with customers and or as a business building activity. And then that evolved into, well, let's do assessments and we can do them for free. And then now we can charge for them. And we built out our process. And, and ultimately what we have now is a set of processes and templates that are based on the audit work that I had done much earlier in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though small businesses don't always need that level of rigor, I like the fact that we don't just go through kind of a checklist when we do an assessment with them. Like, do you have this yes or no? They don't really understand what the spirit of the control is looking for. They don't, they don't know what you know th- this stuff looks like because they don't have a governance or a compliance background. So we like to take it a level or two deeper so that 
they're not just looking at the existence of a you know, user access review, but when they're doing it, they're looking for A, B, C, and D. Um, and so we're teaching them how to do their own control reviews. We're teaching them what processes to put in place, ultimately with the goal of them being very self-sufficient and they only come to us for more strategic advice um, in the long-term once we've helped them put those, those frameworks in place. That makes sense. And so it sounds like you really, you said in the first 30 days, which probably was longer, you really focused on listening to your existing customers. And it sounds like that training, <laughs> that I will call it training on you, you kept throughout and you still yeah. really listen, maybe even listen to what the customer's not saying in addition mm -hmm. to what they are saying, because you identified, oh, they actually need us to expand our offerings. Um, and that, that's actually a very key skill when you're an entrepreneur is to hear what the customer is not saying, but that they need and building out your products and services. So you taught yourself sales and marketing. Any books or mentors or anything that helped you because you talked about the, the book and the program that helped you decide that you wanted to buy a business. How about in the sales and marketing side that you said you did not have experience with when you were at corporate? I would say that the first thing is I still feel like I'm building the muscle. So that is probably the hardest aspect that um, I'm constantly dealing with is tweaking the sales process, tweaking um, the things that I'm comfortable doing. You know, nobody likes to do cold calls and, and, as a, as a philosophy, I don't do them, but all right, I have to, you know, decide what are the other inbound driven strategies and, and things like that, that, that we are going to focus on. So um, it's definitely a work in progress. Um, in the beginning, I hired uh, an agency to help me write marketing material that was more emotional in nature, emotive. Um, and I guess I would tell you that I think a lot of us who are in this field are, are on a disc profile, like very high C, you know, maybe a little bit more introverted and, and very logical, very rational, very data driven. And um, our prospects are not always, and they really don't have a lot of interest or, or tolerance for kind of the facts and figures and, and all the things that we like to geek out on. And so... Um, <laughs> Understanding things like disk profiles and thinking about that in a selling context has helped. Um, I've also found that um, this is less about sales, but the book, The One Thing, was really helpful for me hmm. because um, as an entrepreneur, I like, and not even as an entrepreneur, just in general, as a person, I always have 10 things going at once. You know, everything's hmm. a good idea and like, oh, sure. Yeah, I could do that in addition to that, in addition to that. Um, and when you multitask or multi-thread, it takes that much longer for any one thing to get done. So um, really stepping back and asking myself that critical focusing question of what is the one thing I can do right now that would make this thing that I'm trying to accomplish either easier or irrelevant. Um, and so if I ask myself that question, what is the one thing I can do? It helps to plot the path to, all right, well, if I want to grow my business by X percent in the next you know, six months, what is the one thing I should be doing right now, right this second? Um, so that has also helped. Yeah. So in, when you, how big was eSilo when you bought it? How many employees did it have? Uh, very few, two. Okay. Um, and then when you were, at your prior employer, when you're in corporate, you said you were CTO for a period. How many, how, how big was your management team? How, many, how big was the team that you managed or 300 at your time there? At, 300. At the okay. highest, yes. 
So you come into this company that has two employees. How did you start thinking or deciding the next employees to, to bring on? That one was actually really easy. It was customer service. Um, okay. So there wasn't a, a whole lot of thinking that we needed to, to do around it. And honestly, I'd listened to the folks that were here. Um, and you know, what is the thing that is holding you back or that is um, that we as an organization struggle with the most? And loud and clear, it was, we used to have a person who did this type of customer outreach and nurturing, kind of like an account executive. Um, and we haven't had someone in that role in a long time. And I think it's something that we need to bring back. And so for me, I'm very um, ex- uh, focused on the experience of the, the client and making sure that they feel that they are our most pri- um, highest priority, even if they're a small organization, you know, irrespective of their size. I think mm-hmm. one is that small businesses don't get enough love from the vendors, you know, the big vendors and things like that. So um, that's a differentiating point for us. Um, so we brought somebody in to focus on really client service and, and also we were going to make some changes. So putting together the plan for how we we're going to roll out those changes because it is very customer impacting. Um, that was, that was an easy no brainer. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think the way to build your brand and your reputation is, is through customer support. Um, so very smart. Now East Island focuses on SMB and some public work. And municipalities. So like um, these fire EMS school districts, um, we have a a smattering of of those types of clients across the country and and they're actually fantastic. Um, But Mm. the other ones tend to be professional services. So um, lawyers, doctors, accountants, folks in in regulated industries with their practice or their firm revolving around the protection of their data, but not usually with a, a dedicated IT team or um, a lot of infrastructure around how that actually gets managed. And you said that ransomware, as we all know, with the pandemic really had a, an uptick. So it makes sense to me that the backup expertise in your services that you had was critical and became a critical um, component for many new customers. What are you seeing right now? I, I'm very curious about this question from your perspective as it also pertains to generative AI because I think the email phishing has just stepped up its game tremendously and therefore there's a lot more attack attacks going on. But I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. So we definitely still see a ton of ransomware. And in fact, one of our um, largest clients that they're, they run kind of a, a regional uh, healthcare network was hit earlier this week. Mm. Um, so that is still there. Although I think, you know, broadly speaking, some of the ransomware numbers have actually come down a little bit in the past year. Um, we see a ton of BEC, so business email compromise. Um, yeah. Whether or not it's um, generative AI phishing emails that have gotten that much better or just the run-of-the-mill phishing emails that are still tricking people, um, but we are seeing those attacks almost double. Um, hmm. So a lot of situations where people say, oh, sorry, you know, we we learned that either us or a vendor, you know, someone had a, had a compromise. There was an exchange of emails back and forth. Uh, somebody in AP wired, you know, X amount of money to the wrong address. And we only caught it because of, you know, X. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have a, um, an investment holding company and they own a lot of infrastructure uh, project assets. And those projects, those plants are run by a third party vendor. And one of those vendors got hit um, mm-hmm. within the last month as well. So 
it's it's definitely happening to not only small businesses, but still, you know, mid-sized, large and above. Um, and I think that's one of the areas that as VCSOs, we have to really, you know, focus on and make sure that, again, we're not just implementing the tools, but we're really looking at the people and the training and the awareness um, because they are our last lines of defense. Yeah, absolutely. I have several questions that I want to ask you. And I know we're running short in time, but there's, so I'm going to pick a couple of, of of ones that I, I find that I think are top of mind for a listener. The first one being, what advice would you give to somebody else who maybe is thinking about buying an existing business? So start there virtually. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, I would say definitely do your homework. Um, one of the things that, you know, never having evalu- done any kind of M&A or, or evaluating anything like that before, um, I was pressured to do due diligence in two weeks, which I thought was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I negotiated 30 days, but even then I didn't feel like that was long enough and I wish I would have had more time. Um, so engaging the right experts, so uh, CPAs or forensic accountants or um, attorneys that have a lot of experience or, or consultants even that have a lot of experience in this space, if it's your first time you know, evaluating a deal like this, then definitely, you know, get the right experts involved. I think I probably, you know, I was an auditor before, so I tried to do a little bit too much on my own. And and that's, I think the the piece of advice I would give, but definitely do it. It's, it's a great way to start from something. And Mm -hmm. then your job has to be, how do you put your fingerprint on it? How are you going to take it from good to great? Right. And and so that's a lot less pressure necessarily than from nothing to good. (laughs) I mean, it sounds fun, to be honest. It really does sound like, okay, I have an existing business that I can run with and change and mold and, you know, do things that are just sort of fun, but I have the comfort of at least knowing that I do already have customers versus having to go out and get some to start. Exactly. start. I guess I will say, though, that some of it depends on your background. If you've had a robust business background, you're probably going to find that to be a little bit of a, a, an easier lift than mm-hmm. if you've not had a management or leadership role in an organization before, you've not done strategic planning before, right? It, it, it all depends on, on sort of your background and, and personality. But if you're the kind of person who's evaluating this as a strategy, I would say yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well. I had other questions, but I, I, we've run out of time and I'm very mindful that you are a very busy person. So can you please tell our listeners how they can find you? Yes. So I am on LinkedIn. Um, so if you want to go to kathymyron.com, that'll short link you to my LinkedIn profile. I would love to hear from you. I always like to, to post and, and chat with folks. Um, and then if you have suggestions for tech tip videos, I would love to hear those as well. So um, as I mentioned, they, uh, we do little shorts and really educational videos with a light board explaining common security topics or questions. Um, so if you have ideas of things or questions that you would love answered, send me a message and I'd love to do one for you. Awesome. That, that sounds cool. If you're listening, get in your tech tips. All right, Kathy. Thanks again for joining us. And for the listeners out there, you can find all of our blogs in this podcast on our Substack and Apple podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. And if you have time, please leave us a review. So Kathy, thank you and take care. Thanks so much, Caroline. This has been fun.